Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. And as Jesus shows up, he gets none of this, right? So it's almost like if you can imagine, I were to invite you and say, hey, come over for dinner. And yet as you come and you get close, you find I had taken like the yellow tape and garbage cans. I kind of blocked off all the parking so you couldn't park. And you had to kind of go down the street and you kind of park down the street and walk your way over to my house. And you get there and you find like I've locked the front door. And you got to kind of go in through the garage, right? And then you come in and you find the party's going and everyone's got like eaten off of the best china. Uh, only I passed you a paper plate, right? That's kind of the sense here is that Jesus is being snubbed. Right? Like the politician, this Pharisee, we think of Pharisees as like religious leaders, uh, but in the day they were also political leaders, right? They had the clout. And there's a sense that Jesus is making a ruckus. And he's like, all right, Jesus, come over. Come over to my house, be around my people. But I'm going to kind of show you who's in charge. I'm going to put the control on and make sure, uh, try and set you in your place. And so Jesus comes over and he gets the snub. And I think like this often today, we're often willing to entertain Jesus, but not to honor him, right? Like we see Jesus in the lives of people that we know or in our, our city and our community. There's a sense that maybe I want to scope this thing out, uh, but I got to do it in such a way that I make sure Jesus is put in his place, right? And so Jesus, I'll have you over to my house. I'll be around you. I'll become associated with you maybe in my life as long as you don't ask too much, as long as I get to be the one who's ultimately in charge. And so we see this scene where the honorable person dishonors Jesus, but the supposedly dishonorable person honors Jesus and lifts him up. And so this woman, we're told, that she's lived a sinful life. And while we may not know exactly what that is, in the ancient Near East, this probably had sexual overtones. She may have been a prostitute. There's a sense that she's marginalized and seen as immoral in the eyes of the community. So in modern terms, we might think of having this politician and this prostitute, and the politician tries to kind of keep Jesus in his place, whereas the prostitute comes and just lavishes everything she has towards him. Where the politician kind of looks down on Jesus, she looks up to him in a posture of worship. This is a quote by a guy named Alastair Roberts. He says, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus for a meal. He's observing on this passage. But he fails to provide some of the basics of expected hospitality. One is left with the impression that Simon is trying to shame Jesus. The woman, realizing this, goes to Jesus and performs the most extravagant act of hospitality imaginable, performing far over and above anything that Simon has failed to perform. She goes to scandalous cultural extremes. So we see this woman who is concerned that Jesus is not being treated with the honor and respect that he deserves, this woman who looks up to him and brings everything that she has to bring in order to lift up and to honor and exalt Jesus. And if Jesus himself was kind of like that politician, right, if he, if he was concerned about his reputation in that day, you, you might expect him to try and distance himself, but he doesn't. He welcomes it. He loves it. He receives her worship. So some people today use Jesus and some worship. And I think it provokes the question for us this morning of which are you, 
right? Like, why would someone use Jesus today? Well, sometimes I think we use Jesus to try and keep the peace in our relationships, right? This kind of sense of, all right, I'm going to go to church or do the thing to keep my wife happy or my husband happy, uh, or I'm going to try and keep my parents happy, so I'm going to try and maintain the social peace, but Jesus, I'm going to keep you in your proper place, right? Or we might use Jesus today for social networking. I was at a uh, Christian uh, business luncheon thing recently, and, and uh, you kind of go around and, you know, people will introduce around the table, say your, you know, what church you're a part of and your name and all, and, uh, and one person was like, well, I, I, I'm not really a Christian, but uh, I want to network socially, so maybe I need to go become one, right? And there was kind of this sense of like, oh, okay, I'm going to become a Christian in order to expand my social network. Or if you're running for election in some parts of the country, uh, trying to become mayor of your state or whatever, like some parts, some places, like being associated with Jesus can help you get into office. And so there can be these ways that we try and use Jesus today to get whatever that association is going to bring, but we try and keep him in his proper place. And this is contrasted with the posture of worship, where we see that, like this woman, she is not saying, how can I keep Jesus in check? She is writing Jesus a blank check, going, anything I've got to give, it's yours. This alabaster jar of perfume would have been extremely expensive, and she pours it out on him. She lavishes her life, her resource, who she is and what she has on Jesus. You know it's worship when the question's not, Jesus, if you do this for me, then I'll follow you, but rather, Jesus, I, I want to give everything I have for you. The sign of worship is generosity. Like I think of uh, one of our partners in Vietnam, Dr. Ming, and Dr. Ming, when uh, he's a doctor when he became, obviously, Dr. Ming, right? <laughs> but he comes to Jesus, and uh, anyways, the, you know, in Hanoi, the government gives permission for the first Christian medical clinic in Hanoi, and he's got wealth from his practice, but he basically gives his home, like a, over a million dollar real estate in the heart of Hanoi, to become this first Christian medical clinic. And they, they move out into an apartment, and we help them uh, kind of renovate this place and turn it into a clinic. But I just remember going, like, who gives their home when I met him? And he leaves this practice to, to help go and serve some of the most uh, marginalized in the country. And you see his love of Jesus, the impact that God's love has had in his life, where the sign is generosity. He's like, man, I just want to give whatever I've got to serve Jesus in his world. Or I think of another family at Imago who, uh, over this last year, they, just as the gospel's kind of taken root in their hearts, and they said, man, we actually want to strip down our, you know, just our lifestyle, the way we live, and have 25% of our income go towards serving some of the most vulnerable here in in our city and around the world. 25%. I'm like, man, that boggles my mind. There's a sense that the sign when God's love gets a hold of your heart is generosity. You want to give it all to lift up Jesus and to serve his world. All right, so we see that some people want to use Jesus to control him. Some people worship him. And what makes the difference? What makes it this way? What makes us this way? Jesus goes on to tell us here. Turns to Simon. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And I love this, because up to this point, he's just been the Pharisee, right? His category, who he is. But here, Jesus turns and he calls him by his name. He's about to speak personally to Simon's heart. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. 
One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Jesus declares here that our love of God corresponds to the amount of forgiveness we've received. That our worship, our adoration, our love of God corresponds to the amount of forgiveness that we've received. And so he uses this story of these two people uh, who have each incurred a big debt. And one's 50 denarii, one's 500 denarii. So denarii back in the day was about a day's wages. So he's talking here about some person who basically does like two months of work versus about two years of work. Like if you were to, had no other obligations, no other bills, nothing else to pay, and you could just work two months straight, you could pay this thing off. Versus man, even with no other expenses, I'd have to work two years to pull this off. One of these, 50 denarii, that's kind of an amount that like, okay, it's a bummer, it's a lot to pay back, but it's manageable. If I kind of show diligence and I work really hard, I could get there. The other is one that just feels crushing. It's like with all the other expenses I've got, stuff I've got to pay, I could be working the rest of my life and I'm never going to get out from under the weight of this debt. So if you think of it as uh, almost like imagine on the one hand that you're borrowing your buddy's car and you kind of wreck your friend's car, right? Versus, let's say it's 4th of July weekend this weekend and you're out blowing, you know, shooting fireworks off tomorrow night and you accidentally burn down your neighbor's house. <laughs> and let's say there's no insurance involved. Uh, one, you've got to pay back like this $10,000 car, right? And the other, you've got to rebuild this $100,000 home. Well, the one, it's like, okay, the car, it's my buddy. He'll be patient. I can work it off. I'll spend time and we can get there, right? The other, it's like, man, buying somebody's home on top of everything else I've got to cover, that amount is crushing. It feels like there's no other way to get out, no way to get out from under it. And when you think about either of those debts being forgiven, the one is like, man, that's cool. That, that blesses my present. But the other is like, man, that changes your future. That actually opens up new possibilities. It, it removes this weight that felt unbearable. It opens up a new vision of the future. Great forgiveness gives rise to great love. If you think that you're forgiven little, Jesus says you're going to love little. But when you recognize that you have been forgiven much and the extent of Christ's forgiveness of you, you love much. You love greatly. The invitation is to let the immensity of God's great, forgiving, reconciling love in Christ free us to actually own all of our stuff and bring it before God because there's nothing that he's unwilling to forgive. It doesn't matter how long your rap sheet is, how much time you've served. It doesn't matter how much you feel like you've messed up your kids while struggling to do it on your own. It doesn't matter how many relationships you've broken and friendships you've betrayed. It doesn't matter how many angry words you've spoken while struggling to care for a spouse with an illness or that man, that parent that's in their final stages, right? That there is no weight too big, no 
uh, debt too large that God's not ready and willing to forgive. And the reality is that Simon needs the forgiveness as much as the woman does. Like we all are in need of the million-dollar home great forgiveness. The question is whether we realize it, whether we know it. Simon's trying to pretend he doesn't, right? But the woman knows it, and she just brings it all to Christ. I was thinking about that this week. I learned uh, recently about kind of two forms of pottery, and one was wrapped up with the word sincerity. And uh, basically the history of the word sincerity, I learned, was uh, back in kind of the Roman world, right? So in the ancient world, you had uh, a pot, pottery. So you're out in the market, and you're looking to buy this pot. Now, if the pot had cracks or cre- you know, crevices, things in it where it was imperfect, what they would try and do is they would put wax inside the cracks to try and cover up the spots and make it appear as if it was still this uh, genuine, perfect, authentic thing. And so the word sincerity literally means sin Sarah, without wax. And that was where someone who was experienced would kind of hold it up to the sun and knew how to look and check and find out if it was truly without wax or if it was uh, a facade, if someone was trying to cover up and hide their deficiencies and the cracks in their life. And when I think of Simon, I think of him as like that, uh, that picture of, a, of, a, of, a, of an unsincere pot, right? Like he's trying to cover up the wax and keep Jesus in control so that Jesus can't expose the cracks in his life. But when I think of the woman, there's another kind of pottery. I also learned about in, uh, in Japan, there's a traditional form of pottery called kintsugi. And what they do in the, with this kintsugi pottery is they take it and they make it perfect and, and all that, but then they actually uh, break it almost intentionally. They let these cracks uh, be exposed and, and broken, and then they put it back together with this gold-infused glue, and it becomes beautiful. Right? And when I think of the woman, I think of her like this kintsugi type of pottery, right? Like she's not trying to hide the cracks. She's bringing it before Jesus and going, man, I need you to put me back together. And the reality is, I believe Jesus is inviting us to be like this kintsugi pottery, not like the unsincere one, right? That Jesus is inviting us not to try and hide our flaws and deficiencies like Simon and try and keep Jesus in control, but to actually come to Jesus and to present the fullness of who we are, all we've got to bring the trust that his love is great enough and to let the power of his presence, of his spirit, of his reconciling love fill our cracks and crevices and mold us back together to reflect and display his glory. We're invited to let Jesus put our pieces back together with the golden-fused glue of his presence. We find here our love of God, again, corresponds to the debt, to our debt forgiven. That when we recognize, when we own kind of the the, the cracks and crevices in our life, man, those become places for us to become filled with the love of God. All right, well, Jesus goes on. So then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, 
but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Grasping how much we've been forgiven will make you a more revolutionary lover of God. Owning the extent and weight of God's love for you in Christ and his payment of our debt is what frees us to love God more lavishly. Jesus contrasts Simon and the woman here, right? And I think we all tend to think that, um, man, we all tend to think like Simon, but the reality is we're all like the woman. We all tend to think like we've got it together and we just kind of need to keep Jesus in his place. But the reality is our lives are like the woman that we, man, we were made to both receive the forgiving love of God and to lavish ourselves upon him in hospitality and generosity and in worship. One of the things I love that Jesus says there is uh, he doesn't say, because she's shown me great love, now she's forgiven. He says the opposite. She's like, she has been forgiven greatly as her great love has shown. Like it is her experience of the forgiveness of God, of the heart of God towards her, of the affection of God in her life. It is her experience of that reality that gives rise to this great love. Similarly for us, Jesus is not going, hey, show me a bunch of love, and if you do, I'll forgive you, right? Like, Jesus is going, man, when you experience my reconciling love, it kind of puts you back together, it floods you, and it pours itself out of your life in worship. And I think one of the things that we see here is, I believe, he says, your faith has saved you, your faith in who God is. I think Simon and the woman have probably two very different pictures of who God is, and it gives rise to two different versions of repentance in their life. I think Simon has what I would call a picture of God as the reclusive lawgiver, whereas the woman has a picture of God as the relentless lover. Where Simon, I think, you know, sees God probably as the reclusive lawgiver who wants to make sure everything's in order, everything is kind of kept in check, and so he kind of gives these demands and steps way back and goes, all right, you better jump high enough and keep it together or you're done, right? And because of that, for Simon, repentance probably means, um, man, like behind the scenes kind of, you know, like I got to suppress and avoid and ignore my faults and my weaknesses. I got to try and keep up appearances and keep it together so that I don't become, uh, you know, a a flaw in in the community and I don't become a flaw before God. Like the woman has encountered in Christ, God is the relentless lover. Right? Like God who comes after us, who's not stepping back, waiting for us to get our act together and go out and find him, but the God who is coming for us with this relentless love to pursue and to restore, to fill us, to make us his, and to make us whole. She has faith in Christ. She has faith 
in God as the relentless lover, and that frees her to bring all of who she is and receive that forgiveness. And it's her experience of that debt forgiven that has made her this revolutionary lover of God. The way to become a radical lover of God is to recognize how much you've been forgiven. Because great <clears throat> love corresponds to our debt forgiven. I was struck by that this week. Uh, this last week I, I was invited to this dinner and I met, um, I, I met this couple. And I was just kind of asking them their story. And I, kind of the husband and I were talking off to the side. And they were, they were an older couple. They were, you know, they probably another two decades or so ahead of, ahead of me in life. And so I was just interested to learn. They seemed like they have this joy. And I was like, hey, tell me about your life, how you guys got to where you're at. And he starts talking and Right out of the gate, he just like that Kintsugi potter, he lets his cracks just show full throttle, right? And he comes out and he says, yeah, uh, you know, about 30 years ago, uh, I was killing it in business, was doing it amazing, and I, um, I, I, I got this big ego, this big head, this pride. I was traveling around, and I, I danced too close to a woman at this thing, and it turned into an affair, and it went on for a while. And one of the greatest things that happened in my life was eventually got exposed, and my wife could have, should have, would have left, but she didn't. She called me on my junk. She called out my arrogance. She called out my pride, but she stuck with me through it. And as he's telling the story, tears start to well up in his eyes, and he kind of looks to his wife, who's over another conversation, with just this look of affection. What struck me was, man, his great love corresponds this debt forgiven. Like he's experienced the context of a relationship where he doesn't have to hide anymore. He has encountered, his wife has been this image of a love that has met him in his depths and has pulled him out as she has walked with him and been for him through that. The reality for you and I is that we are like, I think we're like that, right? Like God has called us into this relationship as his people, in this covenant, in this union, this marriage, this life together with him. And we all have betrayed, we've walked away. The reality is God, he, he doesn't ignore the junk, he calls out the cracks, right? He calls out the sin, but the power of his love meets us in the depths of those places in Christ. And it's strong enough, it's powerful enough to call us out to our true selves as we were made to be in union and life with him. So the beauty this morning as we come, <clears throat> we gather together today, I think the call for us is uh, don't be like Simon. Right? Don't pretend that your debt is small. Don't hide from the cracks that are showing. You don't need to hide them. We can let go of the image that we sometimes try and present, right? The image that we've got it all together or our family's got it all together or whatever, our communities have got it all together. We don't need to hide and present an image as if we're all polished and perfect. We don't need to, you can let go of kind of be that perfect student who's got it all together or that uh, spouse where your family has no problems, everything's shiny and perfect and clean. We can bring the reality of our lives before God. We no longer need to live under everyone's expectations. 
and try and control Jesus to make sure he doesn't mess up the show. But rather, we can let Jesus stir things up and bring out the fullness of who we are and where we're at to restore us and make us whole. So invited not to be like Simon, trying to hide, control Jesus and hide the cracks, but rather to be like the woman, right, in the story. To be the sinner. <clears throat> to grasp the debt that you've been forgiven. And part of that, I think that means for us today, is to stop minimizing our sin. Right? To stop pretending like our sin isn't a big deal. I think we can become quick to do. Uh, <clears throat> man, Jesus' love brings the freedom to bring out, to bring to him those things that weigh on your conscience. Man, that's those, those people that I killed in the war, <clears throat> that damage I inflicted on my child, my temper that tears people down, those women I objectify on my computer, the people that God loves that I have done damage to in his world. The invitation is to let our conscience be seared by our sin, right? To let those cracks show and to let Jesus be the one that puts the pieces back together. Because I think we live in a culture today where I, 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 I don't know about you, but I hear the message regularly, like, you deserve it. Like, you, you deserve everything. And part of the freedom of the gospel, I think, is going, we can live under that for a while and go, okay, yeah, I, 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 I should, you know, I should take care of myself. I should do all these things. I should uh, try and keep my life together because I deserve it. But if you're like me over time, the reality starts to kick in behind the scenes of recognizing these cracks and these flaws and these sins and these things in me that are set against God and his ways where I realize I don't deserve it. And if you think the only reason I should be able to is if I, that I do deserve it, that can become, that can tear you down in the long haul. But the freedom of Christ's love is to go, man, you don't deserve it uh, in yourself, but it's all here because of me and I'm for you. That Christ's love brings the freedom to own our sin, to let our conscience be seared, and to grasp the debt of the forgiveness that Christ has accomplished. And for some of us, we may be going, well, I don't really need forgiveness. I, I, I was talking with someone recently and and they were just going, you know, I've been exploring Christianity, but I, I'm just a pretty good person. I don't really need forgiveness. But pressing in, you know, at, at the deepest level, man, I, we all need forgiveness. And the reality is if you're striving to live your life on your own, apart from your creator, apart from the living God, like that, Scripture would say, that's the crack, that's the root, that's the kind of foundation that has unleashed destruction into God's world. We have striven to separate creation from creator, our lives from the king who's for us. So the invitation this morning is to grasp how greatly we've been forgiven and to let that reality, let that truth give rise to a love of God. That's what makes us revolutionary lovers of God is when we grasp the extent to which we've been forgiven. So as we come to the table this morning, we come to the forgiveness of God. We come to Christ's body broken and his blood shed to meet us in our brokenness and put us back together. 
We come to the table where Christ has taken on our debt. He took on not just the, the car we crashed, he took down the home we burned down, the fire that we've set loose in God's world, the ways that we've ravaged our families, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, the ways that we have torn apart God's portion from the world. God bears it in Christ at the cross. And so we come to the table to receive of his life given for us. We come not to a reclusive lawgiver here at the table. We come to God's relentless love for us in Christ that's coming to chase us down, to fill us with his presence, and to make us whole. So let's come like the woman. Let's come in a posture of worship. Let's lavish ourselves. Let's, let's honor Jesus and lift him up and give, us the great, give him the greatest hospitality uh, our city's seen to actually lift up Jesus and honor him with all of who we are and all of what we have because of his great love for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you did not stand far off and kind of wait for us to get our act together, but rather, God, that you have pursued us, God. You have come after us in Christ with a relentless love. God, I pray that we would grasp the extent of your forgiveness. God, I feel like our, our forgiveness, often that grass, it comes in layers. Maybe at first we see one uh, piece of something in our life that, that you've forgiven, that you call out. But I pray this morning, God, that you would continue to peel back the layers, God, in the power of your spirit. That you would show us how deep the cracks go, God. That you would maybe peel back if there's another layer of hard-heartedness or rebellion or thing that we've been keeping from you, God. Uh, that we pull back, not, not, not to... Just make us wallow in it, God, but that we could receive the power of your forgiving love in those places, God. That we could lay, God, just the fullness of our lives before you and not feel like there's any part we have to hide. Spirit of God, would you reveal to us, God, just the grasp, help us to grasp the extent of how much you've forgiven us, God, the debt that you've paid. God, in order that we could be free to love more fully, to live more generously, to pour our lives out and lay our lives down for your glory in the world, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.